from West Virginia Public Broadcasting. Support for the legislature today is provided by Marshall University, with more than 100 degree programs offered in four locations and online. More about the Marshall family at marshall.edu. West Virginia University, a land-grant, space-grant, R1 research institution. Learn more at wvu.edu. Segra, providing fiber-based communication solutions. Segra, freedom to grow. More information at segra.com. Good evening from a weather-beaten Charleston. I'm Suzanne Higgins. It's been a week of snow and ice and power outages, but the work of the West Virginia Legislature continues at a very brisk pace. We'll have updates on multiple bills tonight, but first, Senate President Craig Blair and House Speaker Roger Hanshaw discuss the challenges and goals of a legislative session in the middle of a pandemic. They spoke with senior reporter Dave Mistich yesterday evening. Thank you, gentlemen, for joining us. I'd like to start by asking you both about how the pandemic is affecting the process this session. Many, if not all the bills introduced seem to be referenced to a single committee, which is somewhat of a change from the past. Uh, Mr. Speaker, members of the minority are saying the process is moving too quickly. Some bills are missing a fiscal note and there needs to be some more time given for deliberation. Mr. Speaker, how do you respond to that? Well, no question the pandemic's changed the way we've done business this year. There's no doubt about that. We, we're trying really hard to make sure people stay physically separated. We've had to do some things that in a normal year we never would have even considered. For example, we've had to close our galleries. We're using the galleries this year for social distancing for members who want to either not wear a mask or feel like they need to have some additional separation. From, from others on the floor. We've restricted our committee process thus far this session to only the House floor itself and our Committee on Government Organizations room, which are the two largest rooms that we have available to us in the House, all, all of which is designed to just minimize the amount of time that members are in contact with one another in close proximity. So would we normally refer bills to two committees in the House? Often we do. Often we do uh, send bills to two committees. Not not always. There's no there's certainly no, no rule that that compels it or requires it, but we are we are trying to minimize the amount of time that members are are just simply sitting together this year. Um, do you feel like that's uh, jeopardizing anything as far as the quality of legislation? You know, only seeing one committee reference. We don't. We uh, all the, the the full opportunity to offer amendments to bills is still available to every member of the House, and that's the important thing. Right, and, and a little thing, uh, something that you touched on there, Mr. Speaker. I'd like to direct this to the president. There's also this issue with you know public access this session. I understand you know those that are wishing to interact with lawmakers are are being told to make appointments, and those wanting to speak to a bill can request to do so virtually. Um, there's of course some people that are that are arguing that that's not as hap happening as effectively as it needs to. Uh, how would you respond to you know Democrats and some other critics who say these protocols in the name of safety are limiting public access and input? I don't think that that's an accurate statement. 
the fact is is that uh, we got full access to the Capitol via the electronic means to doing that, and then you can make an appointment with a Democrat senator and be able to come into the building. It's uh, Monday morning is when we were actually implementing to mimic the House, uh, but I've walked through the hallways here, and I've been monitoring how many people are in the Capitol, and yes, it's uh, much less than in the past, uh, but it's because of COVID. When you go to a grocery store or you go to a restaurant, you see the same type of behaviors. Uh, but it's not slowing us down on our ability to get the work done and having the public give input onto that. And going back to your previous question to the speaker also is on the double referencing of a bill doesn't always need to be double referenced. I'm a different Senate president from the one before, and I'm about getting the productivity done and getting uh, good legislation through to be able to help the people in the West Virginia be able to work, live, raise their family. And uh, we're doing that. We're doing that together. There's been a tremendous amount of cooperation with the, the House delegates and the governor's office and uh, the, uh, the, the Senate. Uh, so th these complaints that you're hearing, uh, I disavow them. We're doing a great job for the people of West Virginia. Thank you, uh, Mr. President. I want to move along and, and, and note that there's also many bills related to the pandemic uh, this session. Uh, in the House, you guys have been taking up a piece uh, related to the governor's emergency powers, and there's you know a bill on limiting liability for businesses. Mr. Speaker, I'd like to hear from you about the bill on the governor's emergency powers. Tell viewers and listeners about the in, in, the intent behind that bill. Sure. So in West Virginia, we, we deal with natural disasters with regularity. We, we Because of our topography, because of our ge geography, because of our terrain, it's, it's fairly common practice that the governor has to be able to respond to emergencies, has to be able to deal with natural disasters, and those things show up in, in their most common form in like floods and fires and storms and things that impact people's lives immediately. And that, that's, that's in stark contrast to what we've seen impacting the lives of West Virginians over the course of the past 11 months while we've been through the pandemic. So the bill that we've, we've, we've seen in consideration by the House in the past several days is a bill that says, listen, in situations in which we have a prolonged set of circumstances that are not immediately that are not an immediate threat to, to life and property and health and safety in the same way that fires and floods are, that we ought to have both branches of government involved in deciding what the state's coordinated response to those situations would be. And that's what the bill's about. Uh, I want to follow up with this question. You know, the House rejected an amendment that would have made it clear that the bill would have uh, applied to the current state of emergency as it pertains to the coronavirus pandemic. In your mind, why was that proposed change unnecessary, especially when the bill is itself clearly a response to the governor's unilateral hand handling of the pandemic? Well, I think as Chairman Capito said when he explained the bill, the question was, did it make it clear or did it in fact inject ambiguity into the bill on its face? So uh, a number of a number of our council looked at the bill and concluded that it did and that that without the amendment, the bill was sufficiently clear. So I believe what you saw was a majority of the members of the House didn't wish to interject ambiguity where they didn't think any existed. And Mr. President, I want to shift gears here just for a moment and talk about the bill that would limit, I should say, virtually eliminate uh, liability whenever it comes to the pandemic. That, that bill's been running on your side. Tell us about the need for such strong legislation. And if you would, tell us if there are any circumstances in which a person, business, or entity should be held liable as it relates to the coronavirus. 
Well, I'm not going to go to the fact on whether a business should be held liable or not. I'll tell you, though, we need our businesses to know of out here that they can be able to operate a business in the state of West Virginia for the people of West Virginia and not be fearful of being sued. This state uh, used to have billboards all over the state from trial lawyers that was more than willing to go out here and sue businesses to be able to get to their insurance policies, thus driving up the cost of insurance for all West Virginians. And this is one of these opportunities that we, if we didn't, weren't proactive, we'd be in a situation where they, you have headhunters out here looking for the opportunity to sue, sue, sue. That's got to stop. We need to be able to make it so that in this state that there is a predictability. And that's what th th this legislation is going to do. What we should be talking about tonight here, though, is the other work that we've been doing, and that is, is like broadband expansion, the pole attachments, telehealth. We've got a lot of good bills out here that are going to make West Virginia's lives better. And, and you're not asking these questions, and you should be asking them, because that's what the people of West Virginia want to know, is how we can make their lives better in this state. And we're attempting to do that in an expedient fashion, because we don't know. It may end up that they'll have another COVID flare up, and we might not be able to conduct business here two weeks from now. So we're on an expedited path, working with the governor's office, working with the House and the Senate together to be able to get priority bills across the finish line to make West Virginia people's lives better. Well, Mr. President, you mentioned some priority bills and I wanna talk about that by and finishing, finishing up this conversation, um, namely about the proposed reduction or elimination of the state income tax. That's something that you've talked about at length. And I wanna start with you on this. Considering uh, especially that you've been a proponent of that and along with the governor, how is the process going in developing that particular bill? The process is going very well. And of course, it's a process. That's what the legislature is all about. We're working with the governor's office and again with the House and being able to craft a plan forward so that the average West Virginian, the working West Virginia, is going to see an overall tax reduction. We're going to be able to, we're looking at all the different avenues on how we can do this and put ourselves on the course to being like 10 other states where population growth takes place. And as I said, when I accepted uh, being the Senate president, my goal is, is over the next 10 years to bring 400,000 people to this state. When you do that, that growth will actually make it so there's more jobs, more prosperity for all West Virginians, and we'll be able to keep our children. If we just kept our youth in the state of West Virginia, that goal would be reached, okay? Then we're losing of seniors that are moving to states that do not tax personal income tax. We'd be able to keep our seniors at home. And just as we've seen here this week, West Virginia for retirement is tied with Iowa. Number one, we keep having more number ones and good things happening like vaccinations and how that's been done in this state. The governor's office ought to be applauded and all the work and all the people underneath of it on how we're getting vaccines done. For that matter, any teacher that's over 50 years old or at risk, it's my understanding they've already had their first dose of vaccine. Number one in the country again. You can hear it in my voice. I'm very, very proud of the work we're doing. We're proactive now instead of being reactive. Mr. Speaker, I want to turn to you about this uh, proposed elimination of the state income tax. 
What is the House majority's position on this? And is there wide support among the caucus? And if so, does that come with any caveats at all as far as, you know, agencies or programs that would need to be cut or, you know, backfilling any loss of revenue? Well, certainly there's great support for for having Western Union join that that existing minority of states that don't tax personal income. I think it's safe to say that that the majority caucus is strongly supportive of that goal and we all we all realize the house, the senate, the governor, all of us together that this is a lofty goal. It's going to take a while to get there. We've spent the last couple of months working on that plan already. We're still working on it now. What the contours of it will look like when we finally get a bill that that all of us can consider is is a bit of an open question still because we know we'll have to do that through a combination of cuts to programs, elimination perhaps of, of entire sectors of government, as well as, as as revenue from other sources that perhaps we aren't deri- that we aren't deriving today. So that 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 calculus is complicated. We haven't solved it yet, but we know we want to. And uh, Mr. Speaker, I want to give you just a few moments to uh, give some final thoughts uh, just about the session so far. Here we are, nine ten days in. Uh, what do you think, and where where do you see things headed forward? Well, we're, we're excited about where we are. We've, we've perhaps, at least in the time that I've been a member of the legislature, we've never had the kind of cooperation between the two houses of the legislature and the governor's office that I believe we're seeing this year. The president and I talk every day. We speak to members of the governor's staff every day. We've, we've met every week leading up to the beginning of this session last week. We're, 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 we're about, about, 10% of the way completed with the session already, which is amazing that it's gone by that quickly. But we've got a number of things that we've already done. We know that we've learned a lot over the course of this coronavirus pandemic in the past 11 months about the importance of broadband infrastructure here in our state. That's still one huge priority that we both share that we're looking forward to taking up probably as early as next week. Well, House Speaker Roger Hanshaw, Senate President Craig Blair, thank you both for being here. Thank you. And now here's reporter Liz McCormick with the status of just some of the bills we're tracking this week. At the legislature today, House Bill 2002 is a broadband bill and a centerpiece of the majority party's agenda this session. It's now in the House Technology and Infrastructure Committee. House Joint Resolution 1 would permit the amending of the West Virginia Constitution to require public education rules to also be approved by the legislature. It had a first reading on the House floor today. House Bill 2266 would expand Medicaid benefits from 60 days of coverage to 12 months for new postpartum moms. This was reported out of the Health and Human Resources Committee and is now in House Finance. And Senate Bill 246 would allow licensed employees, staff, and students of public universities to carry concealed weapons. The bill was introduced last week and is in the Senate Judiciary Committee. Joining me now at the other end of the anchor desk is senior reporter Dave Mistich and also at a safe distance off the set here in studio, Emily Allen, our Report for America Corps member. Welcome to both of you today. Thanks, Susan. Uh, we're going to try to get through a couple of these major bills this week. First, we want to start with the HOPE Scholarship Program. That's House Bill 2013. Uh, that passed the House yesterday. The vote was rescinded today, and by another vote by the House, it was recommitted into the Finance Committee. A very unusual move. Uh, so what does the bill do? 
the bill proposes that families would be allowed to use public money for private education costs. It would set up, it would allow the setup of education set savings accounts through the treasurer's office. And the bill originally allowed parents with kids in public schools to have a public school or a private school option, a homeschool option. Those parents, uh, those savings accounts would receive the uh, equivalent of the uh, school aid formula, what a district gets per child. And right now that's $4,600, about $4,600. Uh, we heard from the Board of Education this week. They said that that impact would be about $23 million of public funds now shifted for uh, private education or homeschooling. Home um, and then uh, an amendment on the floor expanded the bill and uh, would make it by 2026 available to all school children. And uh, we heard again from the Board of Education that would be about a $100 million impact on public education funding. A lot of debate yesterday before that vote. We're gonna take a little bit of uh, time to listen to that. First, we'll hear from Delegate Larry Rowe, Democrat from Kanawha County, then Delegate Tom Fast, Republican from Fayette County, and then Delegate Jim Barrick, Democrat from Kanawha County. Well, the, the question is, is how much money are we talking? Well, it looks like we don't have a fiscal note. No agency has told us. Uh, we did have the Education Department come and say that they estimated $23 million. But beyond that, we don't have anything. In a floor amendment, we added $77 million to this bill. And you say, well, but if we don't have to pay it now, maybe that's going to be okay. That, that's not fiscally responsible. Let us keep something in mind, ladies and gentlemen. It is the jurisdiction of parents to educate their children, not the state. It is the jurisdiction of parents. Parents are taxpayers, and currently they pay the full array of taxes, whether it's income taxes, property taxes, other taxes that go towards public education. They pay it all from A to Z. And if they decide to send their child to a private school, they pay the full array of tuition right now to do that. And they still pay the full array of taxes. I, I see this as a war against public education that we have going on here uh, in the past few years. First going after the teachers, then bringing in the uh, charter schools, and now the ESAs, all of these chipping away at public education, and that's a great concern to me. And of course, that bill passed yesterday. It's back uh, today in House Finance because the, that vote was rescinded. Uh, yeas were 60, nays were 39, so we know at least 16 Republicans uh, uh, voted against that bill yesterday, and uh, we'll, we'll see where that goes. Also this week, a charter bill school, or a charter school bill rather, uh, House Bill 2012 passed, and also in, in the Senate now up for a vote on Monday, uh, an anti-strike uh, an anti bill. Uh, now we go to Emily Allen. Emily, you have been uh, following uh, the bill 2007. Tell us about that. 
Yeah, so House Bill 2007 would allow people with an occupational license in another state, if they were to move to West Virginia, their license, as long as they're in good standing with their state, um, would be recognized here. So for a lot of professions, they wouldn't have to go through some of the schooling and experience requirements to get a new license in West Virginia. Republicans said yesterday when they passed the bill onto the Senate that um, it might cut away at some of that red tape that might prevent skilled workers from moving to West Virginia. Democrats, though, um, expressed some criticisms about sort of this one-size-fits-all approach for a wide gamut of professions. Something else that came up, and you're going to hear in a minute here, um, is the fact that the bill and its House Government Organization Committee did not get a public hearing. Um, leadership for the committee, Republican leadership, did say that they reached out to all the occupational boards, but not everyone was able to testify. So to speak to that, we have some comments. Um, the first one you're going to hear from is Delegate Evan Hansen in Monongalia County. He's a Democrat. Uh, then after that, House Minority Leader Doug Scaff of Kanawha County also spoke to the bill. And at the end of these comments, you'll hear from Delegate Jeff Foster, a Republican from Putnam County, uh, sponsor to the bill, and the Vice Chair of the House Government Organization Committee. If there was ever a bill that the House was considering that should hold a public hearing, it's this bill because of the wide variety of professions that are impacted, each of one, each of which already deals with this issue in a different way. What other situation would we allow or want this to apply to? We are letting other states dictate, now don't get me wrong, some states, they're higher standards than ours, and I'll gladly accept those standards here. But there's a lot of states that are a lot lower than ours. And if they have a license from a state that's a lot lower, and they intend to live in West Virginia, and they worked in that state for one year, they're now eligible here. As soon as you come in, you, you have to abide by all the rules and regulations of the board of the state. So why not have somebody that wants to live in West Virginia and wants to move here, give them an avenue to do so. And we heard the gentleman talk about selling this state. So COVID-19 has created a, a unique situation where many people are leaving these heavily populated states and big cities to go to a, a less populated state. And we're being proactive. That's what this is about. It's not about reacting to a problem. This is about being proactive and trying to attract people to this state. So the bill did not have a public hearing before it was voted on in the House. It moves on to the Senate now. Um, Delegate uh, Foster, who you heard from at the end there, said that they just didn't um, do the public hearing out of COVID-19 concerns. I should say after testimony in the committee, um, they did agree to exempt positions for medical professionals, law enforcement, uh, attorneys, and a few others, but many professions are still affected by that bill. All right, thanks, Emily. Uh, Dave, you have updates from both the Governor's Authority Bill and on the COVID Liability Bill, both of those uh, bills you talked to leadership. Right, right. Today in the House, they passed House Bill 2003, which would limit the governor's powers in a state of preparedness, a state of emergency. Uh, it would limit um, the length of a state of preparedness to 30 days. A state of emergency would be limited to 60 days unless the legislature passed a current concurrent resolution to extend those declarations. Um, but they'd also have the option to end it. Very, very interesting point uh, about this bill is that Delegate Pat McGeehan of Hancock County, he's a Republican, he had offered this amendment that had caused a stir. It was adopted by the House Judiciary Committee, um, passed to the floor. They brought it back to the committee. 
uh, pulled out the, the amendment and then it made its way to the floor. He offered that same amendment. Um, it would have tried to make it explicitly clear that the bill would include the current state of emergency that we're in, uh, um, you know, of course, related to the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, of course, that amendment was rejected on the floor, but the bill itself passed the House today. So um, also in the House 2014, House Bill 2014, it clarifies the legislature's spending authority of federal relief funds in excess of $150 million. That's headed to the Senate as well. And, you know, the big bill in the Senate today, or at least one of the big bills, is this creating the COVID-19 Jobs Protection Act. And that eliminates completely liability for businesses, individuals, healthcare providers in terms of the coronavirus uh, infections, treatments, or death. Um, there's no exceptions to this. And Senator Richard Lindsay of Kanawha County tried to amend the bill to allow for claims uh, when there was reckless intent or malice. Uh, but that amendment was rejected. It passed on a 25 to 9 vote, which means two Democrats joined Republicans, uh, Bob Plymel and Mike Woeful, uh voting in support of the bill. So. All right. Thank you. We'll have to end it there. Dave Mistich and Emily Allen. Thank you. Thank you. And now let's check in again with Liz McCormick on another group of bills to watch this session. House Bill 2001 is the West Virginia Jumpstart Savings Program, allowing individuals who wish to pursue a vocation or trade to make tax-free contributions to a savings and investment account, similar to the state's Smart 529 College Savings Plan. The fund can be used for business startup costs, equipment, certifications, and licenses needed in the vocation or trade. The bill passed the House unanimously and is now in the Senate. House Joint Resolution 2 would allow for the amending of the West Virginia Constitution to limit the Supreme Court and lower courts from interfering with impeachment proceedings conducted by the legislature. House Joint Resolution 2 is on first reading in the House. And Senate Bill 255 would establish the Wholesale Prescription Drug Importation Program for the purpose of importing drugs from Canada on behalf of the state. The bill is currently in the Senate Health and Human Resources Committee. Next week, we'll speak with lawmakers from the House and Senate Education Committees about a myriad of other bills they're working on and the impact of COVID-19 on West Virginia students. As we close this evening, a reminder to listen to West Virginia Morning for daily legislative updates and go to our website for the latest news at wvpublic.org. We stream daily the floor sessions on the West Virginia channel, and we'll be back next Friday night for a wrap up on the legislature today. I'm Suzanne Higgins for everyone here at West Virginia Public Broadcasting. Thanks for joining us. Have a safe weekend.